The scripture lesson will be found in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It's page 914 in the Pew Bibles. Please follow along as I read. Now, in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The grass withers and the flower fades, But the word of our God will stand forever. Please join me for a short prayer. Heavenly Father, we know that we live in very troubled times. And so, Father, we need the light of your word in the midst of the darkness, Lord. We pray that you would help me, particularly as I feel inadequate, to deliver your word but pray that the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit will be manifest this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see, I am uh, Asian American, and particularly I am Chinese American. My parents immigrated to the United States in the 1940s. But I was born and raised in Boston. Now, some people say I still speak with an accent. Not a Chinese one, but a Boston one. In New England, there are six states, including Maine. Maine is the whitest state of the 50, all 50 states, along with Vermont. Maine has... uh, white. And in northern Maine, there was a small town called New Sweden. I imagine many in that town were probably of Swedish heritage. The whole town was just about 600 people. And in that small town, there was a small Lutheran church. And on the last Sunday of April 2003, After the worship service, 
Its members move from the sanctuary into the fellowship hall for coffee, like it always does. And following the church coffee hour, 16 members became ill. One man died a short time later. It was found that the coffee had been heavily laced with arsenic. Five days after the poisoning, a lifelong church member, Daniel Bonison, shot himself at his family farm. He left a note confessing sole responsibility for the crime. It seemed the well-liked Bonison had a dark side, harboring bitter grudges and battling emotional problems. The 53-year-old bachelor left a note. Bonison indicated that he didn't mean to kill anyone, but, quote, he just wanted to give some people a bellyache like they gave me, end quote. It's one of the worst cases of conflict in a church in recent memory. And it happened in a church where everyone in the church was very similar in background. Certainly not the first church conflict, nor will it be the last. Wherever there are people, naturally there will be problems. That's a fact of life, because we are all sinners. And churches are not exempt. We sometimes think that if we all love Jesus, there shouldn't be any disagreements. There shouldn't be any problems. But churches are made up of imperfect people, sinners saved by grace. There will be disagreements, misunderstandings, and hurt feelings in churches. Now, sometimes people think that we need to go back to the first century church because that first century church was, was perfect. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, it sounds almost perfect, doesn't it? It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That sounds like a perfect church, right? And a lot of times we point to that first century church as sort of the ideal of all the churches. But as I said, when you have people, even people who have been saved by grace, they still will often act like sinners. And uh, you will have problems. And that includes uh, the first century church and includes 
Your church includes my church. And especially if you have a diversity of people, you probably have more problems. There'll be more disagreements, more uh, complaints about what's happening. But they don't have to lead to violence or church splits or open conflict. And so we want to look at the first church conflict in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, which we just read earlier. And I'm going to give you a short outline of my message. And there are four Ps, okay? Four Ps. The first one is we look at the, the problem. What was the problem in this church conflict? In verse 1, it says, Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Acts chapter 6 describes the problem of the first church that was centered in Jerusalem. And it was a growing church, and that's a good thing. But growth can also bring problems and issues. Scholars estimate that the church at that time could be from 8,000 to 20,000 people. And uh, with that many people, it would be a challenge to make everything run so smoothly. And the church had a, a feeding program, and that's a good thing as well. Uh, they fed the, the widows, as they obviously did not have uh, government assistance and those kinds of things. And so the church stepped up and provided a feeding program. But there was a problem in that feeding program. People felt they were treated fairly. One group in the church feeling that they weren't treated with fairness. Now, I was trained before I went to seminary. I was trained as an engineer. And so I didn't take any sociology courses. Um, So I kind of mixed race and ethnicity all in one thing, you know, interchangeably I would use those terms. But I've since learned that, oh, race has more to do with the physical characteristics of people. And so in this first church, everybody, just about everybody was Jewish, all right? They're all the same racial uh, group. But within that Jewish group, there were at least two types of Jews. And that relates to the word ethnicity. Ethnicity describes the culture of people in a certain geographic region. It talks about their language, their heritage, their religion, and their customs. And so verse 1 talks about two ethnicities in this Jewish Jerusalem church. And it talks about the Hebrews. Who are they? Well, the New International Version uh, translated as Hebraic Jews. Now, these were Jewish Christian converts who spoke Hebrew, or perhaps more 
accurately Aramaic, which is a dialect of Hebrew. And this was their main language. And not only that, these uh, Hebrews were born and raised in Israel. They were native to the land. They knew all the customs of the synagogues intimately, and they brought their extensive culture with them as they became Christians. But that verse also talks about a second group. Not only were there Hebrews in the church, but they were Hellenists in, the, in that group. And the NIV uh, translates that as Grecian Jews. That is, they were Jewish Christians, converts who spoke Greek because they had been born and raised outside of Israel. They might have come from Asia Minor, Macedonia, Italy, or some other part of the Roman Empire. And when they came to Christ, they brought their Greek-speaking culture with them. And so in that first church, there was already a communication gap. People didn't speak the same language. There was a culture gap as people had different cultural background and they were brought together into one church. And sometimes when that happens, one group can be somewhat suspicious of the other group. And so one group, the Hellenists, felt they weren't being treated fairly by the Hebrews. And so there was a potential here to split the church, the first church, into two. Now, ethnic and racial diversity in a church is a good thing. And I know that your church has been striving toward that. But we also need to recognize that uh, increased diversity will probably mean increased problems or issues or, to better put it, challenges, right? And we can't be naive to think that, oh, we're all Christians, Uh, we're going to be like the first century church and just love each other and take care of each other. No, even in the first church, there were some issues. There were some complaints. There were people feeling they weren't being treated fairly. And we're not able to avoid all those problems and conflicts, but we want to know how can we deal with these problems in a God honoring way. And so let me share with you a little bit about my church because I see a lot of parallels uh, with Acts chapter 6. If you were to come to my church in Boston, um, you would see that 95% of the people in the church are Chinese, all right? And they all look the same, right? But that's on the surface. We actually have used three different languages in our church. We have English, we have Cantonese, and we have Mandarin. And Cantonese and Mandarin are dialects of Chinese. They they can read the Chinese uh, writing, uh, you know, the same, but when they speak it, it comes out different. They don't necessarily understand each other. And so you can imagine in our church, it's difficult to hold an annual meeting. You know, we've had to have trilingual translation and try to discuss business of the church, okay? And so when the church was first started back in 19, 
1961. I wasn't there, but, you know, uh, it was started in 1961. It started with Cantonese-speaking immigrants. That is, they are people who spoke and prayed and read the Bible in Cantonese, and they observed Chinese customs and ways of doing things, like celebrating the Lunar New Year, okay, for a lot of them, uh, which was last Sunday. And the Cantonese group was certainly the dominant group of the church when it first started, and they held all the leadership positions. And so they would be very similar to the Hebrews in Acts chapter 6. Now these immigrants, Chinese immigrants, settled down and they had children. And they had children, they tried to teach them Chinese, but it went in one ear and out the other, all right? They, uh, they were fluent in English. They were Americanized, these children. And we even call them ABCs, American-born Chinese, all right? And uh, they would be similar to the Hellenists that's described in Acts chapter 6. Now, when the church first started, the whole service was in Cantonese. And... Uh, but the ABCs, they said, we don't understand what's going on. We don't understand the sermon. And so they decided at some point, we're going to have bilingual services. And uh, the service was translated sentence by sentence. And if you come to my church, you'll see that the pulpit there is twice as big as this one. All right? Because they had a, one for the speaker one side and the, the translator was on the other side, okay? And uh, the uh, Chinese-speaking love the translated service. They felt, now we can worship with my whole family here and we can learn the Bible and we can learn English at the same time, you see? And so they thought it was wonderful. But the ABCs, the English-speaking, which were mostly high school students at that time, they saw the worship service, translated worship service, as twice as long and twice as boring. All right? They couldn't understand the examples and the illustration that the pastor used in appealing to Chinese proverbs and life in, in, in China. And as a result, most of the uh, young people dropped out after high school. And so I can relate to this problem in Acts chapter 6. So that's the problem. There was a, two ethnic groups. Uh, they were racially one, but there were two ethnic groups. And there were some problems, some issues. So second key, the first was problem. The second is the plan. What's the plan to re deal with this problem? And so we see this in verses 2, 3, and 4. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Uh, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them 
and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, the 12 refer to the apostles. They were obviously the leaders of the church. Matthias uh, had replaced Judas in Acts chapter 1. And all these, uh, the 12, all the apostles were, were Hebrews. They were Hebrew-speaking Jews. But you should note, first of all, that the apostles face the issue. They didn't try to minimize the complaint of the Hellenists. They wouldn't, didn't say, oh, you, you Hellenist widows, you're just too sensitive. You're acting like children, you know. Why do you think you're not getting enough food? Uh, you, or you guys are complaining too much, you know. So they could have treated it that way, but no, they, the apostles said, this is the problem, and we need to address it. And so, so they took it seriously. And the apostles got the people together and had a two-point plan. First, there would be a clear statement of priorities. They said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, some of us may be thinking, well, if the apostles distributed the food and they're Hebrew speaking and they're making sure that the Hellenists get the right amount of food, that would set a great example because the apostles are the, the top leaders in the church. They're models. They should be models of servant leadership. And so this would send a powerful message to the congregation. It would provide healing for the two groups. And, uh, uh, and the apostles would be showing that the uh, Hebrews cared for the Hellenists. But the apostles recognized God had called them to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And even drawing them to other good things would not be the best use of their time. It would be a diversion from their divine calling. And so I think there's a principle that's for spiritual leaders that the higher up you go in church leadership, the more you have to focus on the word of God into prayer, because the church is built on the Word of God, right? And if they are to lead the church, they have to know the Word of God thoroughly. Otherwise, they'll be leading this church astray. And yes, the, the apostles could go out there and make sure the food is distributed, and that's very important, but that's not the best use of their time. Um, when I first started working for the church back in 1977. The church was about 150 people, and I was hired as assistant to the pastor. And I had three main jobs. I was the youth director, I was the secretary, and I was the janitor, okay? And uh, as a secretary, I would print the bulletin on a mimeograph. I don't know if you ever heard of those things, but this is before, you know, modern printing. And uh, for me, the big decision was to buy the toilet paper because I had to choose between value or softness, all right? <laughs> and because we're an immigrant church, I said, I'm going to choose value. And I, I made the right choice, you see. Um, so 
eventually, I stayed in the church, um, and, and I ministered in the church for over 40 years. And I, again, started as assistant to the pastor, but eventually I became associate pastor, and I served in that role for 20-plus years, and then I became the senior pastor in 2000. And um, uh, I had to learn to uh, bide my time. I had to recognize that I can't go buy the toilet paper anymore. Someone else has got that. It's an important job. It's critical, but it's not for me. It's for other people. I need to concentrate on the Word of God and to prayer. So the first part of the plan is a clear statement of priorities. The second part is to delegate the task to qualified people. Delegate the task of distributing the food to qualified people. Now, in our minds, we would probably say, yeah, in a Chinese church, we have people who um, work in the restaurant business. So we're going to hire, you're going to get these people to make sure all the food gets distributed in the correct way. And so we, we look for somebody in the restaurant business. We look for somebody with an MBA. We look for somebody who's type A, basically. And certainly these gifts are helpful, but these are not the primary qualifications. Verse 3 tells us that the primary qualification is that they are full of the Spirit and wisdom. And... Uh, Today, in a lot of churches, there's an emphasis on spiritual gifts. These are God-given abilities for service in churches. And that's a good thing, to focus on spiritual gifts. But perhaps more important than spiritual gifts is spiritual character, even in something like the equitable distribution of food. And so it says they need to be full of the Spirit. What does that mean? When in Ephesians 5.18, it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So it's not that we don't have enough of the Holy Spirit, but the question is, does the Holy Spirit have enough of us? In other words, we have to have the Holy Spirit controlling our lives. Instead of wine, as it says in that verse, it's, it's the Holy Spirit that is controlling us. And so if the Holy Spirit is controlling us, the Holy Spirit can lead us. The Holy Spirit can work through us. We have God's heart. We have God's concern for others. We will display the fruit of the Spirit in our attitudes, expressions, and actions. The second qualification is full of wisdom. And Please note, it doesn't say full of Bible knowledge, all right? We have lots of people in our church who may have a lot of Bible knowledge, but they lack wisdom because they don't know how to apply the Bible in practical situations. And so we need people who are not just academic-minded and know the Bible and pull out a few verses. No, we need people who know how to take the Bible and apply it to everyday issues and problems. And so that was the plan, that the lead, top leaders would focus on prayer and the ministry of the word, and the apostles would delegate the, 
this task to the people full of wisdom and uh, the Holy Spirit. The third P is I call performance. And I call that uh, performance because we look at how did they carry out the plan. And we see that in verse 5 and 6. And a couple of points here. Number one, uh, the proposal pleased the whole group. That is, the church submitted to the plan. They submitted to the apostles. Now, leaders in the church are not always right, but we should always treat them with an attitude of respect. And there's a difference between loving, respectful dissent and divisive, uh, rebellious spirit. When... um, when I was an associate pastor, I served under a Chinese-speaking pastor for, as I mentioned, for over 20 years. And early on, we still had a bilingual service. I still saw many young people dropping out. And I said, what we need to do to stop this dropout problem is to have a dedicated English service and a dedicated Cantonese service. And my senior pastor agreed with me, actually. But then he said, it's not the right time. And so I waited and waited and I prayed and uh, I didn't sense any urgency on his part. And I began thinking, oh, all these young people are dropping out. Maybe I need to start my own church or you know, start my own ministry or something like that. But God taught me I need to submit to the leadership. I need to respect it. And I waited seven years before he changed his mind. And, uh, and actually, w- when it took place, um, the church experienced tr- you know, the, the largest growth in its history as a result. But it also, my submission to him allowed him to trust me. And uh, he later on um, recommended that I become the senior pastor when he retired, okay? And, uh, and that was the process of learning how to submit to the top leadership. The second thing that we see in the performance is the church chose seven men of proven character who were all Hellenists, all right? If you look at the names and you wonder, why are they listing all the names? Who cares, right? Well, all the names are Greek names, you see. And so that means they chose not 50-50 Hebrews and 50 Hellenists. They said 100% Hellenists will be on this group because they felt that they were more sensitive to the Hellenist widows and they were closer to the people who were being mistreated. And so... Certainly these Hellenists were, uh, the seven that they chose were spiritually qualified. And so the church trusted them and uh, with this task. And as I mentioned about in my, uh, when my senior pastor retired, uh, he recommended me for, to become the senior pastor. But to be honest, I wasn't even thinking of becoming the next senior pastor. 
because no Chinese church across the United States and Canada had an ABC, American-born Chinese, as a senior pastor. Because I don't read or write or preach in Chinese, okay? And I think, okay, your Chinese church, and particularly the church was probably two-thirds Chinese-speaking at that time. And so they were certainly the dominant group. And yet, uh, my pastor, uh, senior pastor who was retiring, recommended me for the job. And the church asked me to apply, even. And I, you know, I'm honored that they would trust me, uh, even though I'm not, in some sense, from their group, them, their ethnic group. And so I, th- I liken that to what's happened here in Acts chapter 6. So we see the problem, the plan, the performance. The last P is the product, right? What's the result of following the plan of the apostles? Verse 7 says, The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So the church... Uh, dealt with a, quote, non-spiritual problem, right? Food distribution. And it resulted, and they dealt with it in the right way, and it resulted in spiritual fruit, in numerical growth of the church. In some sense, in reality, it was a spiritual problem. It was the unity problems. And unity problems can arise when you have different ethnicities in your church or even in everyone of the same ethnicity, like the church in Maine. But again, with more diversity, there's more potential for miscommunication, misunderstandings, their different perspective, differences of opinion, and maybe more hurt feelings. And certainly... As the church in the book of Acts grew, they added Samaritans. They added Gentiles later on. It became even more diverse, right? Um, And there were more challenges with that as well. But that's okay. Because the church dealt with it in the right way. And the church and the gospel was spread as a result. Let me just close with an analogy. Uh, I have a a daughter who and her husband, who they live, and they lived in New York City. And uh, after they got married, after a few years, they uh, had a daughter. Uh, and um, you know, she, girls are nice and quiet, and uh, you know, very, very uh, pleasant. But then they decided to have a second child, a son. And he was like totally different. He was so rambunctious. He was, uh, you know, always complaining, always uh, saying things weren't fair, all those kinds of things. And they, so they had different personalities, different uh, things, and they have disagreements, they have fights. And, and then they had a third child later on. And there were obviously eight big age differences at this point. And uh, what I'm trying to say is that you know, when you add people to the family, it's kind of messy. 
It, it, it creates a lot of problems. There are going to be disagreements. People are going to complain things aren't fair, whatever. You got more dessert than I got and all those kinds of things, right? But in the end, it's worth it, right? It's worth it. My, my daughter wouldn't give it up for anything. Yes, it's been trying. They had to deal with, they had to be the referee to settle the fights and all those kinds of things. But it's worth it because the family grew. And so the church family is the same thing. Yes, as we have diversity, there's going to be more issues, more problems, more differences of opinion. And you're going to have to deal with it in the uh, godly way. But for God, it's worth it. That's his plan. That's his desire. So uh, my prayer for you as you try to grow in that area to recognize there's going to be some problems, some issues, but it's worth it in the end. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that doesn't sugarcoat what happened in that first century church. Yes, there were a lot of good things that were happening in that church, but there were some negative things as well, some challenges to them. We thank you that you included Acts chapter 6 in the biblical record so that we can understand that they, the leaders uh, treated the problem seriously. They addressed it uh, with spiritual leadership, that it wasn't just a uh, mechanical problem or a business or management problem. It was a spiritual problem. And that unity is always an issue uh, in a church. And we know that you desire for it. Uh, for as our church grows in number and grows in diversity, that unity would always be uh, present in that church. So we pray, Lord, for uh, this church and for all the churches, Lord, that as we try to reflect your love and your grace and grow, that we will follow your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.